0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. Have you ever woke up and uh, not, wanting to, not wanted to get out of bed? Anyone? Uh, that's how our soundboard felt this morning. Um, we got here and nothing worked. Like just nothing worked. And aren't you glad that we aren't contingent on that? Um, to come into the Lord's presence and to sing because I love moments like this where I hear your voices. Um, my little boy was sitting beside me, I got to hear his voice. That is wonderful, and so I'm grateful for you. I do have one warning though. Um, there's a reason why I wear a microphone on my face. Because I, uh, I will annoy you um, as I do this and, and all kinds of stuff. So please just offer me some extra grace this morning. If you see me doing this, just, just nod and affirm me, all right? Um, it's, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Uh, but I do uh, hope you have had a good morning. Um, we, have, we have a tough one this morning. Um, how many know that relationships can be incredibly difficult at times? Anyone? How many of you know that even when you come to Jesus, submit your life to Jesus and respond to the gospel, change from the inside out, reconciled, redeemed, all of those things, converted, regenerated? How many of you know that relationships can still be difficult? Amen. Um, we can often... As Christians be on what we call the victim side where we navigate through something that is difficult and we are wronged for example uh, we also know that it's uh, there are times when as Christians we are on that other side when we wrong others when we have done something that that just kind of severs uh, relationships um, there's a, there's a saying that it, it takes two to tango. That's often true in our relationships. But relationships can be difficult, and um, it's the combination of two imperfect people. So what would we expect, right? This morning is going to be a morning of, of reflection, of soul-searching, and, and I, I want to give you the warning that it might be a little uncomfortable. It was for me. Um... Because listen, we're not, uh, we are saved by grace. We are not saved by our works. And we stand on that. It is Christ who justifies us. Your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. It is secure. There is nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. Um, In fact, if you remember over the last couple weeks, we have looked at... um, Jacob and Jacob's story, which is this story of grace, just grace upon grace. Why did God choose Jacob? Grace, there's no other explanation. Why, um, why did God choose Jacob? Why did God choose me? Why did God choose you? Why grace upon grace upon grace? Not only that, but last week we took another step forward and we said, and What happens when our life comes off the rails? We make a mess of things. And then we talked about there's grace upon grace upon grace. And the grace that that saves us then sustains us all about God's grace. And praise God that our God's grace is sufficient in our weakness. Praise God for this. He can use our mess. He can use our mess. But Today, there's another truth that I want us to see. And although we're not saved by our works, although we are not kept by our works, your works matter. Because the mess you make is often the mess that you then have to navigate in your life. In other words, the mess you make, it's not going to take you away from God's grace, but um, it's not going to take away from the grace that was poured out on you by God himself. But it can sure make an impact on the people in your life, and your relationships. Although vertically we are known by God, horizontally we can live very broken lives. And sin can destroy our relationships horizontally. We're about to look at this play out in our text today. Um, we're going to be in Genesis, and we're going to we're going to pick up right where right where we left off, and and we're going to look at a cautionary tale. Um, verse twenty five uh, says, "As soon as Rachel had born Joseph." Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go into my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. Verse 27. But Laban said, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination. Come back to that. That the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Now, this divination here, we don't know much about this. Um, uh, It does speak to Laban's faith in the one true God, though. Um, It's not a great sign here. But what we do know here, what we are able to see is that Laban did not want to see Jacob go. And there was at least one reason why he did not want to see Jacob go, maybe the greatest reason. It was because Laban was profiting from Jacob's presence. He was like, don't leave me because my life right now, it's pretty good. Don't don't leave me. So here's Jacob's response in verse 29. Jacob said to him, you yourself know that I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. I have been good to you, Laban. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? Again, Jacob saying, hey, things have been good here. I have served you well. I have brought you honor. I have brought you wealth. I have served you well. When can I go now and, and do the same for my people? In Verse 31, he said what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I love that. He's like, I don't want you to give me anything. That's not what I want. Instead, here is the plan. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted lamb, every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So, my honesty will answer for me later, which, by the way, honesty is hard to come by in this whole story, as we're about to see. When you come and look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. In other words, they're yours, these are mine. Laban said, Good, let it be as you said. We have the plan, right? There is the plan. The plan was made, we have agreement. And then verse 35, unfortunately, um, but that day. <laughs> Laban wasted absolutely no time here. That day, that very day, that day, deception and trickery just continues because here's what happens. But that day, Jake, or Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, Everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black, And what did he do with them? Well, he put them in charge of his sons. Come on, man. Like, come on. Um, Before Jacob had a chance to execute on the plan that they just agreed to, before they could even go down that road, Laban sends off all of Jacob's sheep, ripping him off, giving them to his sons instead of Jacob. Again, deception, sin, and again, just an absolute mess continues, verse 36. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Now, Jacob was not a newbie to this whole world. Uh, he was an experienced herdsman. He knew the trade, and he knew the uh, tricks of the trade well. And in verse 37, listen, we're not going to have time to get into this strange Uh, But what we see is a strange practice that we see starting in verse 37, where Jacob takes certain sticks, places them in a certain way, in a certain place, and this practice was believed to influence the sheep uh, to have speckled and spotted baby lambs. Now, I... I am not a master of the trade here, um, but when you read this, you just have to wonder what on earth is going on. It, this practice was, as you see all the way through verse 43, it was meticulous, and, and Jacob had some superstitious belief that it was going to work, and um, we have, by the way, no evidence that this practice works. It's not practiced today um, or anything to support this, but here it is in our text. But there's a few things from this that are really important. Number one is that this is Jacob trying again to gain the advantage back over Laban. He's playing the game. He's, he's playing the game. Um, out gaming Laban trick for trick. Two Number two is it seems to work. Uh, it's so weird, right? Um, it seems to work. Verse 43 says, Thus the man, that's Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. The weird tactic, did it work? It seems to, but but no, listen, God here tolerates Jacob's imaginative stuff and his superstitions as he often does with ours, and he tolerates it and then and transcends it, in other words, God was going to bless Jacob, despite Jacob's weird plan of sticks and stick placement. Uh, God was going to bless Jacob, despite this superstitious thing that he was trying to do to influence the vote. He was going to bless him anyway, even though this whole thing was off base and weird. God blesses Jacob. Jacob was blessed because God chose to bless him. Jacob was blessed because God chose to bless him, not because of this crazy plan. Jacob was blessed. In fact, we will see clearly as the story progresses that God is going to get the credit for all this. Not this weird strategy here. But this text, this strange scene, reminds us that our God is bigger. Our God is bigger than our mess and our superstitions, and he's... He transcends it all. He transcends it all. And here's the reality of this moment. Um, All of this trickery, this deception, this trick for trick, all of it is deepening the division in this relationship. Cracks in this relationship are not only here, but they are spreading. Have you ever got a crack in your windshield no? Yes, it's awful. Um, the crack starts. And if the crack's not addressed, that sucker just grows. And some of them grow slow. They just kind of creep. Others, you like, you see it happen. You go in and get a sandwich and you come back and it's like all the way across your window. Some of them are fast, but here's the reality. All of them spread. All of these cracks spread. I envision The relationships in Jacob's life being a bit like a large window with cracks just spreading. Just spreading and spreading quickly. Let's get into chapter 31, verse 1. Uh, Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from all that was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. It's like... Woe is us we are being taken advantage of. Um, we've been used. and Now, over the course of this ten- whole thing, that's true. They were being used, right? Um, but it isn't all true. You see, that's how all this mess unfolds. It's, it's half-truths that spread like cracks on a window until that window is unusable and unsafe. That's what was happening. Verse 2, and Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. In other words, he saw things were unraveling, cracking, and breaking down. And now here, the Lord intervenes, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, the Lord steps in, calls him out, and says, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. He calls him out to leave, to separate from the situation, verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know I have served your father with all of my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, and God did not permit him to harm me. Now, Jacob's words here are absolutely true. That is what happened. Laban did cheat Jacob. Laban did receive or deceive Jacob multiple times. But is Jacob squeaky clean in this thing? If you were to just take his account, you would say, "Yeah, he he was victimized." But was he really squeaky? No. No he wasn't. It, we just just look at the the sheep stunt he just pulled. He's not squeaky clean in this. Jacob was correct that there was a profound brokenness, though, that had developed in this relationship. And and speaking of the sheep now, um, here in our text, Jacob now gives God the credit, rightly ascribes all the credit to God for this sheep thing. He said if the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted, and if he said the stripe shall be your wages, then all, so he's recounting the plan, but listen to verse 9. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given it to me. Jacob reveals in beautiful detail that it was God who stepped in, shows up in his time of need, and now he's going to share his testimony, and I want us to see this. Verse 10 in the breeding season of the flock i lifted up my eyes and i saw a dream the goats that made it with the flock were striped spotted and and modeled i don't know what a modeled sheep is but you'll you'll have to imagine it this is jacob's own version of of counting sheep here but verse 11 he says then the angel of god said to me in the dream jacob and i said here i am And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Our God shows up right in the mess. He says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Now, this next part is incredibly painful. I read this, and I cannot help but hurt. The mess and the brokenness of our relationships, as we get to this, the mess and the brokenness, the strain between you and another person, rarely does it stay contained just between you two. You know, brokenness often overflows into the lives of others. There's collateral damage. There's people who are caught in the crossfire. The brokenness between Laban and Jacob did not stay between Laban and Jacob. It broke an entire family. It spread. That crack spread. Verse 14, this is heartbreaking. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners and for he has sold us and He has indeed devoured our our money and all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. um, This is not the way it should have been. This was broken. It was messy. It was now spreading. And they rose. They collected everything. They got their things together and decided, oh, yeah, oh wait, let's make one more trick, one more deception on our way out. Let's just take that knife and go eh, a little deeper. Laban, verse 19, had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel, oh, Rachel, stole her father's household god. Now, I, I don't know what was going on with this, but I read this, and I'm like, come on, Rachel. Can you not see that this relationship is hanging on a knife's edge here? What are you doing? doing but it wasn't just Rachel verse 20 and Jacob tricked Laban one more time by telling him that or by not telling him that he intended to flee so you can just imagine this is not going to end well let's steal from this dude and let's take his grandchildren and his children when he doesn't know they're leaving the strife the brokenness and Laban gets word of their leaving and, and remember, church, these were his daughters, like his children. These were his grandchildren. This was extremely painful. And Laban pursued and he found him. That that night, verse twenty four, God came had come to Laban in a dream and said, Be careful, don't say anything, right, for the good or the bad to Jacob. So God, again, is going before him, going before stepping into this mess. But Laban does. He catches up to Jacob and he says, what have you done? That You have tricked me, that you have deceived me and driven away my daughters like captives by a sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? The crack has spread. How could you do this to me? And he is right. Laban is right. Now, was Laban squeaky clean in this? Uh, No. No, he was not. Absolutely not. But decisions build on decisions. Deception builds on deceptions. Wrong things build on other wrong things. And we're left with accusations that build off of other accusations. And Laban says, verse 28, Now you have done foolishly, and it's in my power to do you harm. It's kind of a, I see you. I, I could take you down right now a statement. But God told me not to, he says. He spoke to me last night, and he said, be careful. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away, verse 30, because you longed greatly for your father's house. And why did you steal my gods? <laughs> why did you do that? Here we go again. Uh, Jacob gives his explanation. I was afraid of you, and I thought you would take my, my, your daughters by force. And then he says, you know what? And about this God thing, verse 32 Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. Be careful, Jacob. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that I have that is yours and take it. And, and God's word says, Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Things are just continuing to build and build and Laban here searches. I'm not going to read the, I believe it's 33 through 35. I'll let you read that for yourself. This is how Rachel hides the gods, hides the things from her father. Rachel and Jacob really do make a great couple. They are quite a power couple. Um, But listen to how it builds. Verse 36, and Jacob became angry, and he berated Laban. I'm not going to read his rant, because basically Jacob just tells the story with himself in a great light. Um, he lays out his case against Laban. After he does, Laban answered him and says, I want to close our story with this, but as I read this, I, I want you to just open your eyes and open your heart to the pain and the brokenness that is in what I'm about to read. Laban says, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? It's not supposed to be like this. I'm watching my grandchildren leave my life. I'm watching my daughters leave my life. It's not supposed to be this way. So they decide to make a covenant between them. And this is so sad here. Laban's side of it says, hey, treat my daughters well, and God is watching you. But then Jacob's side of it in verse 52 says, this heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and that you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. In other words, I won't come in your life. And you won't come in mine. The relationship window that was once cracked, spreading, cracking more and more with every single decision here was now shattered. Verse 55 is perhaps the most sad verse in the text because this is the way our story ends. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters. And bless them. And then Laban departed and returned home. And let me just add to this. Laban departed and returned home, never to return again. As I said, we are not saved by our works. Your works do not justify you. Christ's work justifies you. Jacob's story is a life of, or is a story of grace upon grace. He was chosen by grace and grace alone. He was sustained by grace and grace alone. but although you are not saved or kept by your works, your works matter because the mess that you make is now the mess you live with and the mess you navigate in your relationships. The mess you make, the choices you make, in other words, church, will impact the people in your life. the relationships in your in your life the decisions you make in your relationship will affect those around you and this is part of living life in a fallen world this is part of doing life together with sinners and again, vertically, I'm not talking about vertically. We who were once enemies of God are now called friends of God because the work of Jesus Christ, and that is done. We are recipients of the promise, and he will do what he promised to do every time. In other words, your, your vertical relationship, that is contingent on Christ and Christ alone. You're saved by grace and grace alone, through faith and faith alone. In Christ in Christ alone for the glory of God and God alone. This is God's grace on you through Jesus Christ. But I want you to hear me. Horizontally, we live very broken lives. You may be here this morning, and you may be in a relationship that is strained or struggling. You may be here, and although you are pursuing Christ, and um, you may be in a relationship that is breaking apart or broken apart. As your pastor, I, I I know how this feels, and it is so painful. It should not be like this. We are united by Christ, yet we navigate through brokenness, and I and I want us to see five things in this text that as we seek to apply God's word to our life. These are not rocket science, but they are so crucially important to our lives. Number one is we need to know that God is present. I want you to to notice in our text that even through the mess, God was not silent or distant. He didn't respond back with Jacob. I am the God of the universe, and I have more important things to deal with, with than your interpersonal relationships. No, he didn't. He stepped in. He was present. He walked along through difficult things. Church, he is present with you. In and through all of the things that you experience and the broken relationships that you might be navigating, our God is Present And for some of us, that is exactly what we needed to hear this morning. You, what you're going through, you are not going through it alone. Your God cares, and he is present. He is present in, and he is present through the mess. That's number one. Number two is we need to do all that we can do to keep the door open. Notice what Jacob and Laban did together through this covenant at the end of our text. They made a covenant, they came together, and what they essentially did is said, you know what, let's close this door. Let's not only close this door, let's lock it. Let's not only lock this door, let's put a guard on this door. Let's make sure this door never opens again. Listen, our God is a miracle-working God, and he may do a miracle. It might not be in our timing we don't have any record in our text. In fact, it's pretty clear from our text that Laban and Jacob never see each other again. It's clear that from our text that Laban doesn't see his daughters or his grandchildren. I mean, and that's what closed doors give you. That church, that is what closed doors give you. Now, if they hadn't come together and made this covenant that said, hey, if you cross this pillar, God's going to strike you, like, if they hadn't done that, would things have been fixed? Would things have been reconciled? I don't know. We don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, we have hope that it could have because in a few verses later, we see, Laban, or we see Jacob and Esau coming back together and embracing each other, seeing a broken relationship that gets restored. Could that have happened here? We don't know. But what we do know is that closed doors do not help. They don't assist it in this. You can't make a person walk through the door of reconciliation. But you can make sure that if they try, they won't be met with a closed one. Let us Together, know that our God is present and let us not close the door. Number three, focus on what you can do. Hebrews 12 14 gives us this command: it says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So, strive for peace with Everyone. What does that mean? That's a huge command. What does it mean to strive? Well, Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do you hear it? What does it mean to strive to live at peace? It means that you do all that you can do, all that is in your power, knowing that you cannot control the other person. You do what's right. This is huge. I want you to notice something from our text. Jacob was tricked. He was mistreated. He was lied to. Jacob was deceived. And what did Jacob do? He continued to play the game. He tricked back. He deceived back. He out gamed the gamer here, out deceived the deceiver. He played into it. He returned fire. He, when you return fire, more people get caught in the crossfire and more things get set on fire. But that's what Jacob did. And in your relationships, church, God has called you to do what you can do, He has not called you to do what they can do. Your God is going to hold you accountable for your decisions, not their decisions. Focus on what you can do, which is love God and love others. Uh, Romans 14, 18 says, Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Listen to this. So then let us pursue what makes for peace, for mutual upbuilding. So we know our God is present. We refuse to close the door on reconciliation. We focus what, what on what you can do. Number four. Repent of your sin. This is huge. Acknowledge what you have done. Acknowledge what you have done to make the crack worse. Repenting for what you have done. It does not mean that you're accepting all the responsibility for things that you did not do. It means that you're accepting all the responsibility for the things you did do repent repent to god and more than that church repent to each other and, and we're going to come back to this in a, in a bit when we take communion together but we admit our mess we confess our sin we repent and i'm not talking about a fake confession where you just say you know i'm sorry you're such a terrible person we've all heard we've we've either done that or been on the receiving end probably both of of an apology that amounts to that that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the true confession. Of sin, God, what have I done? Search my heart for sin. Reconciliation begins with repentance. And ultimately and lastly, number five is trust the Lord. This sounds so cliche. I know it does. In Jacob's case here in our text, this meant parting ways. God said, "Hey, Jacob, leave. Leave. Part ways. Trust the Lord's plan. I don't know where where you are or what's going to happen in in the situation that you're dealing with in a relationship that you're dealing with. I don't know. But trust the Lord. If you have done what you can do, if you've repented for what you have done and if you have kept that door open, then church, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord there are times when the Lord is going to bring reconciliation. It's going to blow your mind. And when he does, you give him all glory for what he has just done. There are other times when reconciliation comes later. It doesn't come in our timing. When his timing is not our timing. And unfortunately, there may also be other times when we won't see it at all this side of heaven, but we trust in the Lord. And I want to end with this. Um, we're going to be closing Genesis for a few weeks as we shift to Easter. And uh, I can't wait. Um, but as we, as we close Genesis for a few weeks, one day through Jesus, all things are going to be reconciled together. One day, Christ died so that we might know reconciliation. Uh, Colossians 1.20 says, For in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He died for our reconciliation. Reconciliation with God and reconciliation with others. And one day we are going to know this fully. In fact, Revelation 21, painting the scene of what we have to look forward to as his children, says that one day God's dwelling place is going to be with men. He's going to dwell with them. He's going to be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. Our relationship cracks, those are the former things that are going to pass away because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is ours in Christ, so let us trust him. I want us to end this, this message this morning in Scripture a little different than we normally do Um But as the scripture is read, I want to invite you to to reflect on God's word as it is being read. You can sit, stand, kneel, bow your head, close your eyes, follow along, whatever you want to do in this moment. But right here in this moment, um, would you be open to God's word as we read from Ephesians this morning? This is from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.